0: As promised, uh, last episode, we we got to the end. We were talking about the ability to do an entire show on D-Cell. And we talk about it a lot. And for the listeners that may be thinking, like, what does this have to do with hitting or throwing? And Travis and I often say a lot. um, We're going to get into a a deeper discussion today and, and explain this thoroughly. So, I've used this analogy in presentations and clinics in the past. And I say one way to really understand D cell is if, you, if I'm in a car and I'm going 70 miles an hour down the road in a stoplight or stop sign approaches from afar. I don't want to gingerly lightly tap the brakes over a long period of time and very easily roll and slow down to a complete stop to that stop sign. What we wanna do is imagine that Travis and I are in the front seat of this car. Neither one of us have our seatbelts on. And I wanna drive this same car 70 miles an hour. And to stop it, I wanna stop it as abruptly as possible by running it into a tree. Now by hitting the tree without our seatbelts on and stopping abruptly at 70 miles an hour, Travis and I are gonna continue forward as the car stops And our heads are going to go through the windshield. D-cell of a hitter is the ability to stop rotation as quickly as possible. And then what that allows us to do then, when the body stops rotating, the bat then is Travis and I's head going through the windshield. It's going to be propelled forward on a predetermined path that if we slot the bat correctly, will stay in a big hitting window and increase bat speed. So that's kind of an easy analogy um, to understand really what is taking angular velocity. That's your turn speed. The body is turning, we're rotating in a throw or a hit and turning it into usable linear velocity, whether that be the ball propelled out of my arm or the bat head going forward into the ball. Travis, you want to touch on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good analogy. Um, I like to think about, I was kind of explaining it to kids as two people that are running a race And if those two people start even with each other and they run the same speed, they're going to finish the race at the same time. If one of those people has a little bit of a head start and they run the same speed, the person with a little head start is going to win the race by a little bit. If you have the third race, which is the one person has the head start again, they're running the race and they run the same speed, but the person behind, behind them grabs them and pulls them they will, in essence, take some of that momentum from the other person. So if they slow the other person down by one mile an hour, they're gonna gain that one mile an hour in themselves. So they're not gonna completely completely stop the other part, but they're slowing down and taking as much as they slowed down the other part from, which would be like your car analogy where if I'm moving at a certain speed, if something stops, something else can keep moving that speed, but if it slows down gingerly, the other per- the other part slows down gingerly as well with it, so. Correct i
0: think i like, so the I like benefits it. here yeah i'm gonna go on the, the swing and you can touch on throwing as you see fit travis um d cell you can somewhat see it but you can also be fooled there are guys that will finish over rotated to the pull side they're actually really good d cell into the ball so your eye will fool you at times on this But generally when I'm working on it, I'll say, I want your belly button to stick in the direction of the hit. Or if we're doing medicine ball tosses, I'll say, don't let your belly button cross the pitcher. Try to keep it if I'm a right-handed hitter, keep your belly button going no further than where the second baseman plays just to try to abruptly stop rotation. But it's really hard to see with your eye. And this is where the 3D sensors in my mind have the most value. Um, We've, consulted and used KVAS for a a number of years. And going back to 20 years ago, when I got my master's uh, in human kinetics, we were doing some very rudimentary 3D analysis. And we weren't looking at D-cell patterns at that time. What we were looking for was sequencing. And sequencing was the most efficient way to flow energy through the body for the most energy into the bat. But that doesn't mean a hitter is better or worse. There's... I would say probably more than half of major league players or professional players that we've tested aren't in sequence. And from talking to the golf experts, they say the same thing I'm, with golfers, It's just your unique pattern. So it's at the beginning, we were searching for, well, angular speed must mean, you know, the ability to turn fast means that I'm going to have more bat speed or that is a higher number is always good because that's just kind of the way we all work. More is always better, right? And I don't look at the 3D technology that way anymore. And what I do get out of it the most is the ability to get the hood and see deceleration patterns. Um, Travis, guys are better than worse at this. And I think you've done an outstanding job of incorporating things into movement prep. How do we train this de-self mining isn't what I want it to be. Um, I've done this in baseball for, now. The, the, consciously we haven't done it in baseball. There have been some cues that hitters have used over time that I think make better D-cell, but how do we actually get into training this? So
1: I use, I use multiple um, levels kind of of training D-cell. Um, first is obviously, again, like part, part of it is just you have to know somebody's movement pattern. So you have to do a, an assessment. Um, guys with bigger ranges of motion, um, tend to struggle more with D-cell than people with shorter ranges of motion. Why? Um, what's that? Why? Um, bigger range of motion just takes longer to get up to full speed and shut down. So the, to having more range of motion is going to allow for more space to turn in a rotary fashion, especially when you're talking internal, external rotation of the hip, thoracic, um, where less range of motion is going to essentially force the athlete into a quicker speed up and slow down pattern, or they would have to have some sort of um, compensation by front leg rolling open, uh, front foot rolling over to give more space to get up to speed. Um, So knowing that, you know, there's going to be certain points.
0: Hold that thought for a second. So I'm going to, I'm going to use another analogy here as you're getting into this training scenario because we have both said there's give and take of this, right? The, the guys with more range of motion. And I'm gonna use this analogy and picture it. So Travis and I, again, almost in the style of playing tug of war, I'm gonna have a two foot rope in my hands. Travis is gonna be standing as close to me as possible. So there's slack in this rope and he's holding the other end. What Travis is gonna do as quickly as po- possible back pedal to get this rope tight once this two foot rope gets tight, I'm gonna begin swinging him around. He's gonna go around in a circle and I'm going to swing him and swing him. So it's not gonna take very long for him to get that rope tight. However, it's gonna take him longer to get that rope tight and take the slack out of it. But the benefit is once he gets the slack out of it, he's gonna be able to rotate faster. So you can see the give and take here. If I take the slack out, albeit a longer, let's say a longer uh, time to impact, more potential bat speed. You see that with these guys with very big ranges of motion. Um, I would, I would picture like a Bryce Harper or picturing Josh Donaldson, very big moves, likely very loose movers with that comes a lot more swing and miss because you got to make your decisions sooner because it takes longer to take that slack out. The benefit of that shorter rope guy is they can get the slack out really quickly, but they're going to have to use more just sheer strength and mass uh, in most circumstances, to get the bat up to a full speed, uh, up to a high speed, so you can have um, higher bat speed with this loose mover capability than what your strength would often uh, allow you, as long as you can stabilize that range of motion, which is Travis is getting into now. It's a very long-winded explanation of the the differences between uh, less mobility and more more mobility. Go ahead, T. No.
1: No, that's good. Like that, that's a important part. And again, you know, part of that is knowing somebody's movement capabilities. Um, so you know, step one would be understanding that. Obviously, like in the weight room, in in movement prep, that stuff all takes time um, to actually fully come to fruition. It's not like you can go work out one day and you're all of a sudden stronger or more stable or have better body control. So you know, step one is typically see if there's a way that you can manually shorten some of the systems um, so if we're talking like lower half d cell if we're talking like like pelvic d cell um, it would be starting off a lot of times with having a hitter close off their front foot so basically striding closer to the plate with their lead side which is going to limit some of the range of motion um, into the lead into the lead leg and hip um so I usually start there because if you can essentially make that easier in a shorter time frame to help the hitter in a more rapid um a more rapid time versus what it will take in the weight room we'll typically start with stuff like that. Um we'll do check swing work. Um so check swing work essentially when you're going full speed is going to force the hitter to find a connected shorter move because we're limiting the amount of time that they have to get up to full speed. So basically you're challenging, just challenging someone and seeing if they can manually shut down some of that, some of that range of motion and some of that speed on their own, um, through a check swing. And immediately like when we do those, you can tell the, the kids that have more of a strength issue versus, um, range of motion or body control issue, because they're not going to be able to stop very fast in their check swing. And then a lot of times their next one will be like an incredibly slow check swing just so that they can stop essentially on time with the check
0: swing. Yeah, stay there um, for a minute. So let's talk about that too. So there's a neurological component that we always joke with professional hitters the first time they do this. Um, and so people don't understand necessarily why we use the PVCs. That's just a way safer way to do these check swings with a lighter object in your, in your hands. Um, but when we do this the first time with professional players, all of them turn way slower than what you and I do who have done this hundreds of thousands of times. And we make fun of them and say, here I am a slightly uh, recently out of shape, 44 year old man, and I can get up to speed and shut it down faster than these professional athletes. And the reason is the brain is always, it's a protectiveness, protectionist unit. So it's always trying to protect the body when it doesn't know what is safe. So if I tell you to get up to speed as quickly as possible and shut it down and I've never worked on that before consciously, I don't know how good my brakes are. So what am I going to do? I'm going to accelerate slower to where the brain deems, oh, this is safe. I can slow this down by gingerly putting on the brake. Then we make fun of them. And after a couple reps, I figure out, oh, no, I can accelerate faster and I can decelerate faster. But if you've never worked on that, it's not going to transfer over into an unconscious movement. That is the swing. You know, at that point, we're just, especially in a game, we're just, we're, it's a test, right? I, my body is doing what it's been trained to do. So there is a neurological component of, again, why we train this way. So it does become automatic for, for the brain to say, oh, I can shut down quicker. And then we've already talked about the benefits of doing so. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, you know, that's typically where we'll typically try to start first. And there's a couple of things that we're going to that we'd go into as we go through that just in, in trying to do a little bit more manual. What is the body capable of? Can we make this correction without having to spend as much time as it's going to take in the weight room to get that then we use obviously movement prep Um, movement prep is a little bit more of a short term let's get the body feeling like it's making making the brain uh push the muscles to fire the way we want them to um, which would be something simple like a medicine ball throw um so you know using the medicine ball throw having tested that with with obviously k motion um even on force plate That when you have something heavier, heavier in your arms, your body's awareness of being able to shut down to be able to move that heavier object, um, typically will allow for better deceleration as well, simply because it has to, to move a heavier object at the end of the chain. Um, so we'll do med ball throws as a hitter, you know, we'll typically do those from every, let's say pitch height. So we're doing them from higher positions, more of a a athletic bends over position for lower ones. We'll work those essentially to every direction of the field. So we'll do some med balls throws to the pull side, some straight forward towards center, some towards right field. Um, We will do for prep a lot of um, band work. So we're doing a lot of um, isometric holds. We're doing a lot of eccentric and concentric, uh, which is gonna promote for us a lot of anti-rotation, which is just the body's ability to stop rotation. Um, and we'll do that from multiple positions as well. Um, then we'll go through even a progression where we're going to use med balls, uh, with athletes catching a med ball. So we'll start even from the standpoint of like over rotation into a swing, uh, and throw a med ball into the back side of their load side of their swing and force them to be able to stabilize it, then move from there to stabilizing with a throw off of that. We'll do the same thing on the front side through the end of the swing, having them catch um, a med ball at the end of their swing. So basically they'll get through where the end of their swing would be um, and throw a med ball through the end of their swing and have them continue to stabilize the end range of motion there at the end of their swing. Um, So there's a lot of different things that we'll do on a daily basis. And obviously like being able to incorporate um, that on a more consistent basis is where it not just only helps in prep for that day's swinging, but obviously will help in the long term. Of what they're doing and obviously a lot of these things we do in conjunction um with like the, sw- the swing prep stuff we would do like the the check swings or closing off the front side and every every athlete's obviously different so what their prescription of what they're going to do with those is going to be different based on their necessity um that they need as well
0: does that how does this play in for a thrower we, we've talked a little bit about hitting here and i'm going to get back into hitting in a little while, but the same principles in my mind would have to be just as consistent for a thrower. correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, really the only difference between the two is that the longevity of the rotation is longer in a thrower um, because they're finishing obviously with, with one arm continuing on through a move because they're not having to track essentially a ball coming at them and having to stabilize their head and and, and stay in one position. So the range of the range that they rotate is a little bit more, but it's basically the same. I mean, when you think about how it moves, the energy is gonna move from segment to segment the same way. It's just gonna transmit through the arm faster because it's a single arm movement. So it's able to, the shoulder's able to create more external rotation. Um, and then obviously it's gonna to have to be accelerated back into internal rotation as the arm goes into extension. So you're gonna have a longer range of motion And I think for throwers, I think one of the biggest things is, is understanding even more so, I guess, where the placement and timing of the movement comes, meaning that the arm is in a good spot. So like the swing of the arm into the throw is essentially to start to create a little bit of momentum, but it's also meant to get into a position where when the body turns, the arm is in a position to be able to rotate and accept that momentum properly which is essentially what's going to allow you to have the ability to let's just call it fatigue less, um, through inefficiency, which hopefully then eliminates some of the risk of injury. Um, but being able to accelerate the arm, being able to accelerate the arm properly on time, capturing the momentum of the body by being in the right place becomes huge. And deceleration is what's going to play into effect as to how those things happen, how the, the trunk will slow down and the upper arm will speed up and the upper arm will slow down and the lower arm will speed up and capturing those in in time is really where, where your velocity is going to come from. So if you want to throw hard, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest concerns that there would be, would be that the body can not only accelerate, but decelerate properly at the right moment to pass energy smoothly from segment to
0: segment. So I, I was thinking as you were talking there, one of the most often injured parts of the body for a hitter, and it exists in a thrower too. But I think of when this happens for a hitter is often in, in a check swing is a oblique strain. Do you think those oblique strains, oftentimes happening in a check swing, um, happen from the lack of training on D-cell? Do you think that has any influence on that, or do you think? Yeah.
1: I think I think definitely I think you know range of motion pl- always plays a part in that. I know especially for throwers, um, haven't had that conversation you know with multiple throwers that their active and passive thoracic um, range of motion mobility. When that variance is is considerably far apart, any sort of any sort of like slip, the front foot slips, the body slides into a position that I can't manage is going to tend to lead to some sort of lower back or oblique strain because the body just can't support that much range of motion. Um, so same thing. I mean, if you're, not, if you're not preparing yourself to be able to stop, like you said initially with, with how the brain's going to communicate with the body, if the brain isn't used to or prepared to be able to go fast and then stop, and we put it in that position, you know, there's going to be athletes that haven't trained and aren't actually physically strong enough to do that because they haven't trained to, to have the brakes as much. And when they have to check swing in a game artificially and then something goes down, you know, that I think definitely plays a part in it. And I think, you know, in our sport, you know, I think rotary stability probably hasn't, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can only speak for, I guess, me and and what I've seen growing up and then even into our sport as we started coaching. Rotary stability and everything like that had never really been a huge part of, what we trained or what we did in the sport. It was always go in the weight room and do, you know, standard lifting. And, you for know, sure. for most – I most, never for did
0: one anti-rotation drill in my life. Right, That's even cool. even med ball stuff.
1: I mean, you threw some med balls, but it was like you did it because, you know, you had to do some core work for the day. You know, guys are just going to go, oh, i got to go do some crunches. Oh, I remember
0: you – like I, I was already an instructor when you were still playing. playing and – uh, I remember you doing the med ball work, but it was all in the sagittal plane. It was all just in, a, for the most part, in a, in a linear fashion, right? Like, yeah, flexion. Well, it,
1: it, yeah, especially early. You know, later on, it changed a little bit, but it was, it was, you know, other things that had kind of opened up my eyes to it. Like my, like for me personally, like my, my rotational, my rotational stability and strength in my last couple of years changed dramatically um, by doing it. And, you know, that that part of my workout was probably probably at least a third, if not a half of my total workout. Um, so I spent a lot of time. It was, it, was, it was actually like saying instead of like, again, hey, I'm going to go do 40 crunches because I know I'm supposed to, I know i got to strengthen up my core. I want to look like I'm, you know, I got six packs. So I want to do some sit-ups. <laughs> or, you know, now like I see like, like planks are great, you know, but like a plank just in itself isn't going to give you what you need for what we're doing in this sport. So like you could do planks, but you have to add planks with planks with some sort of rotation and you need to add a little bit more weight and you need to, you know, work full range of motion with resistance and you need to have an explosive movement that leads then to a deceleration. And like, so being able to build up to it is important too, but you know, a lot of guys just go like, well, I did my core work. And I'm like, well, what did you do? And I'm like, well, that's your, you know, you're, you're doing something that somebody that's, you know, just trying to be in a gym and stay in shape is doing. You're not trying to do something that somebody that's trying to be a, a collegiate or professional athlete needs to do for their body. So I think there's just a lot of that that hasn't been done. So, yeah, when it lead to, to leading the injury, I think, you know, a lot of people haven't trained the midsection the way that they need to for this sport to be a rotary athlete. Yeah. And
0: that, that I think of that in golf because there's a, larger population of older golfers just recreationally than our baseball players. Um, and that often injured piece is the low back of, a, of an aging golfer that's playing recreationally because the, the science behind this is your thoracic spine right in the middle of your back is meant to be very mobile. Your lumbar spine, the bigger ones at the bottom are meant to be very stable. What ends up happening when you don't have rotary stability is that your lumbar spine ends up being what begins to decelerate, or stop rotation, but it begins to act like the thoracic. And that's when you get lower back pain. Um, when a stable joint is, is starting to become unstable because you don't have the rotary stability in muscle to be able to stop that. But I think um, with, with that in mind, one of the oldest old school cues that taught us Cell when we were young that we didn't ever know was keep your eye on the ball Johnny keep your eye on the ball <laughs> the little eager pulls out to the pole side coach sees that little eager pull off to the pole side he's looking at him after the swing and miss and we know that you got to be able to see in order to hit which of course your eye doesn't do but that is a really good cue to stop rotation. Were you thinking of any? And, and then I'm going to get into what that yeah. does for our direction.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, like, not cue, but actual, like, you know, the amount of time, like, I had a hanging tire swing in my yard.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a great one.
1: You yeah, know, The amount of times that I just pelted that thing with my bat, you know, but, back, but even then, like, you know, talking about where you get output different ways, like, you know, that, without me knowing it, it was just like, oh, how hard can you hit this tire? the amount of times that my wrists were just completely blown up from like the bat hitting the tire and basically almost immediately stopping, transferring that energy and just stopping and your wrist just going, Oh, which like, all right, I'm tough. I'm going to keep hitting it. You know, and <laughs> I, but I, but honestly, like, you know, that was another way of like, you know, we, we did it. because like, Oh, I got to hit the tire to get stronger. Well, all right. I don't know, I don't know what that means, but all right, I'll do it. Cause it's fun and something to do. But it, you know, that was a, that was a D cell, property and it was how fast can i accelerate because i know i'm going to probably slow down a little bit before i hit it because i know it's coming at impact anyway so i'm already starting to shut down a little prematurely just knowing that there's gonna be trauma hitting this tire you know now if we'd have done that with a split grip probably would have been a lot smarter
0: yeah it saved your wrist a little bit yeah hitting the heavy bag we, we got a couple heavy heavy bags in the boxing heavy bags in the the academy that Guys, can a little kids love to whack away at that thing too. It's loud. It's fun just to swing something really hard and it hit it violently. Yeah. Um, what that does for us then, when Johnny keeps his head on the ball, it allows for a greater distance in the zone with the bat. And we all know that timing is the most difficult part of hitting. Um, timing is where you make your money, right? If I am on time more often, I square up more balls, I, I'm a better better hitter. I'm a better baseball player. But if I de poorly, I'm going to carry the bat off my front hip, make, as a right-handed hitter, a left turn a lot sooner and really miss the money part of the zone. The money part of the zone, we know, and this is just baseball fact, that more damage is done out in front of home plate. So we want our bat to exist in a bigger hitting window out there. That decel. You stop rotation allows the bat to stay in more of a forward linear line. Oh, I use that term linear. Um, that's a, that's another full segment we can do. <laughs> Mark that down, Pro- producer Dan, of the the old linear versus rotational. We'll, we'll do that in a future prog- podcast. But keep the bat in a linear fashion towards the pitcher for greater distance in the zone, and that is crucial for for hitters to to just have a chance knowing how difficult pitching is today. So what is
1: what is a common if somebody is is relatively let's just say connected in their swing and has good deceleration and direction what is a good or standard amount of time in the hitting
0: zone? Um, I think of it more as, like, distance in the zone.
1: That's what I'm saying. So we,
0: we do measure time in a zone. I don't <laughs> know off the top of my head without looking at it what the difference in, in milliseconds is. But it, it is that. It's milliseconds in so the what, zone. So and I would it? say, whew, <laughs> one or two <laughs> extra milliseconds in the zone. But that is that is a lot, you know. That's... <laughs>
1: No no what, would that, what, would
0: that,
1: what does that kind of equate to that in distance? Like, what's a good distance to be in that time frame in the zone?
0: Yeah, I'd have to look that up too. I don't. I don't want to quote misquote incorrectly without looking at hard numbers off the top of my head. It's, but
1: it's a, but it's a smaller number in the first place. Yes, I mean we're talking we're talking inches, not feet. Definitely, yeah.
0: Right. we're, well, we're I mean, adding four to six inches in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. That's ballpark estimate, which is a lot, man. That's that's where that's where your your differences of being able to clip an off-speed pitch out in front that you were maybe slightly fooled and making a late adjustment on, and still get a base hit versus the swinging a strikeout.
1: So, what do you feel like? Do you feel like there's a benefit then in using a bigger, heavier bat? to help promote the feel of deceleration, meaning like to move something longer and heavier where the, the weight is farther away from you, you would essentially have to be able to decelerate your last segments, like through the, through the lower arm, through the wrist, through the hands, you would have to decelerate those segments properly to be able to move the heavier object on time feel like you're not dragging something through so how do you what do you feel about a heavier longer implement to help promote deceleration
0: yeah i i do like that a lot we've we've used those 40 40 bats and we recently um using the birdman overload trainers that are like 37 inches 37 ounces and i got that idea from when we were consulting at clemson and they they do a really good job with their their hitting and hitters there, kind of progressive and have some ideas and it's people i i you know, talk shop from time to time, say, Hey, what are you doing new? And he sent me some video of the 40, 40 bat. I said, Oh, that's a great idea for exactly what you're just talking about there, Travis. That's for guys that lose the barrel behind them. You feel that you feel the, the weight of that barrel that I can't control it. Guys that push, they can't accelerate the bat to really far forward out front, kind of flipping the barrel under, but the ability to stop segments to get that heavy object through the zone is just a way of naturally teaching deceleration without I have to consciously think about it. And I don't know that that's to an extent that that is super rare. I mean, I, I was, remember the old videos of like Edgar Martinez taking BP with the, the donut on his bat. Right. There was a reason he was doing that. I don't know. I've never talked to Edgar Martinez about it, but for me, it's maybe in his mind, he was strengthening, but in my mind, it's probably more feel of the barrel. Um, But naturally, he was working on D-cell as well. And he was a really good hitter.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the first time I picked it up and swung it, you know, it probably immediately made me feel like, okay, I didn't. I wasn't. I mean, maybe I was consciously obviously thinking about transferring energy from segment to segment versus just controlling the barrel. But I could feel that the barrel wasn't being able to speed up properly on time because, you know, I'd lost, like, the hinge in my wrist early and you know not being able to accelerate decelerate to transfer to that barrel and the next swing it was immediately like okay let me just place this at a better time and it was like when you figured out how to capture the momentum of that barrel by being able to know when to release or know when to decelerate as well like was like it felt like sitting back thinking about all the bats that babe ruth would use you know those big old logs and these guys were using
0: huge you know, bats those guys yeah, like,
1: yeah like literally like the bats that we're we're using almost as a trainer like a 40 40 or 37 40 and just and just feeling like man i could do almost no work if i time this out properly i can do almost no work and just pound a baseball with very little effort with something that big now at full speed, if you're throwing some, something out there and the ball's coming full speed, I'm not so sure that I'm coordinated enough to be able to pull that off and get the bat in the right place at the right time. But just like, like an easy flip or or tee, just being able to feel that, I think, you know, helps. And I've used that with, you know, a bunch of kids now um, just essentially for that, for a little bit of barrel awareness and feel simply because a longer bat, you also have to be aware that the barrel's a little bit farther away. So knowing that just to kind of train um barrel awareness but really a lot of it were like you said like there's a lot of guys with the battle speed up real early because they're they're losing it or they're speeding up almost after they're hitting the ball because they can't get it to they can't get their body to accelerate decelerate at the right times and that to me is what timing is like i know we i know that you know we always talk a lot about timing being like ball out of hand when is the the athlete starting to move towards the ball in their way but I still feel like in my mind, like there's so much more timing error on actually what and how the body is moving from one piece to the other, which to me is like probably the toughest part of timing. Cause it's easier for me to just get my foot off the ground earlier and start sooner. It's a lot harder
0: to get my segments to actually be on time. And, and that's some awareness in that too. Cause there are guys that accelerate the bat early. There's people that teach it. Yeah. You know, the, well, I'm trying to get the barrel up to full speed behind me. Well, you're going to lose your wrist hinge as you do so, but I can do that. I can accelerate it early. Um, you know, there's downside to that as well, of you're making decisions sooner than you would like to. Um, but having some awareness of that, when do I when do I typically accelerate the barrel? Because our big league guys that accelerate accelerate the barrel lose their wrist hinge really early and do have success, albeit that wouldn't be like the ideal textbook way in my mind that you'd want to teach your hitters.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's always, there's, there's, again, anytime you do anything, there's a bell curve, right? Most people fit in the middle. You've got some people on one end, some people on the other. Yeah, well, there's multiple ways to get things done, but most people aren't, most people aren't the guys on the end of the bell curve. You know, those are, those are more like special people versus most of us who fit, you know, in that middle pyramid. So there's always going to be the outliers at every level. And I think the tough part is, you know, you do get some people that, Train or teach based off of maybe their favorite player or who they like in the moment. That is an outlier. That is really hard for anybody else to replicate. Um, not that not that it's bad. I don't think it's bad that people, you know, try different things, like emulate different things and see how things feel. But you know, trying to trying to pigeonhole somebody into something that's probably more of an extreme is typically not going to go. It's typically not going to go well.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that for every two players you help that can fit into that style of movement and luckily it's appropriate for their body there's gonna be eight that's not right yeah that's that's why in our mind teaching into like one philosophy or one camp is just it's potluck whether whether or not you're actually going to help your hitter or not or your thrower 100 styles man so difficult remember remember when we used to teach we, we had this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago the absolutes like yeah man I don't know if there are any absolutes anymore. I guess one absolute is you got to decel.
1: I mean, in this game, at, at when the ball's moving fast, you have to you have to be able to decel. That's if, if the ball's not moving off the tee, you're good to go. You got all the distance and space you need to get at the full speed. You can take as long as you need to slow down at the end of it, like over rotate the over rotate the heck out of it and just let it eat.
0: Yeah, i want to I'm gonna get your opinion on this because I, before I was working. In pro ball, I was a, I've mentioned on here before, I'm a Car- I was a Cardinals fan, and I, as a child, always had my once a summer pilgrimage across the state in Southern Illinois to a Cardinals game. That was like my, I got one game a year. These usually in August around my birthday, and that was a huge deal for me. So I took my daughters to just experience that, and we went to Bush Stadium. We went through their Hall of Fame, just kind of did some nostalgia time. In the Cardinals Hall of Fame, you can pick up players' bats. And Ozzie Smith was my favorite player growing up. And, you know, Ozzie's not a very big guy. You'd assume that he probably swung a smaller bat. When I picked it up, I couldn't have been more wrong. The dude swung a 35 inch bat, which is incredible to me. I was like, holy kid, this thing's a, it's a lock. Why were players then using big, and this goes way back, right? Because you already mentioned it, that guys of yesteryear and some of the greats of the game swung really really big bats so let me ask you that question what, what is your opinion on that and why don't players do that today
1: um i think honestly like you know <laughs> it's always funny because i feel like i always have these conversations like the day before we have these podcasts and i just had this conversation with kids you know i've got this kid that he wants he's chasing more and more exit speed you know he's, he's a young kid he's you know 14, freshman in high school, young young freshman yet, hasn't turned 15. And, you know, he's already hitting balls, you know, 90 plus exit. And, you know, he sees all these other people out there that, you know, are hitting balls 100 miles an hour. And he just, he wants, he wants more speed, exit speed. And he keeps chasing, like turning faster. I'm going to use this, I'm going to use this bat, I'm going to turn faster. And, you know, he might've been, He might have been using a thirty, like one inch bat, and I'm like, "You want to hit the ball harder?" I said, "Turn relatively similar in speed and use a bat that's two inches longer and two ounces heavier." I'm like, "You can manage it. You're strong enough. You're connected enough, so you're not gonna, you're not in a disconnected swing where that extra length and weight is gonna hurt you. Like you're, you're gonna be able to manage it." So I think you know a lot of times you know if if you think about how training modality has changed, it's not like it's not like guys you know back in the '30s were as physical as athletes are now simply because of the availability of weights and the availability of free time to do those weights and trainers and programs and stuff like that. Off
0: seasons were different. These guys were getting jobs in the off season in in the thirties and forties. Right. So,
1: So, I mean, you look at that and say, okay, well, I can do a little less work with a little bit bigger implement. And as long as I get it there, I'm going to be able to create the same kind of force. So I think, you know, now I think you're going to start seeing waves of that happening. You know, like when we were growing up, it was like, Oh, find a, Finalized bat like all these kids are like oh let's use a you know thirty or thirty inch eighteen ounce drop twelve when you're eleven years old and I'm like you know realistically you know for disconnected swingers there's an advantage because you're going to be able to control you're going to be able to manipulate and control that barrel easier when it weighs less when you have to redirect it if you are disconnected but you know if you've got if you've got players that have relatively connected swings. And honestly, sometimes a heavier bat helps a kid feel connected because they have to be. So, realistically, I think that it's it's going to and will swing that way. I think you know when guys throw harder, people are like, well, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can get this thing through the zone. Well, I don't have to because I don't have to create the same. I don't need as much time to create that rotational speed because I just need to be on time with the barrel getting there. It doesn't have to be moving as fast to do the same damage as it would if it weighed less in a swing. So. You know, I'm not so sure that it's not going to, you know, sway back a little bit and guys are going, Hey, I'm going to do less work on this dude throwing hundred. So I can make decisions even later, not have to create as much speed and use a bigger implement to do the job that, you know, my body was previously having
0: to do. So how did Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle hit the ball so far? And whether this is truthfully measured out or not, I, I don't know. Cause there's, there's been speculation either way, but Mickey Mantle was supposed to have hit a 565 foot home run against the Washington senators. And and again, he was really, I mean, just looking at him in pictures looked really, really strong, but can't say that Mike Trout isn't as strong, right? So why, why were the, why were Babe Ruth and Mickey Mantle able to hit the ball as far or further than players today? You
1: know, that's a good question. I mean, I think, go down probably a lot of different ways, different type of ball, different it type has of Has
0: anything ball. to do with a bat?
1: I mean, I do. I mean, yeah. realistically, I think there's still guys that use, you know, relatively bigger bats. I mean, I know Soriano had a big bat when he played. I know he's using a 35 or a 36-inch bat. Like yeah, it's using- pretty
0: rare that guys are using bats that big today. And if you do a bat fitting, players that do bat fitting for the first time are kind of shocked. They're like, there's no way I can swing that bat. Because every time you do a bat fitting, it's going to suggest a – heavier and longer bat because of right. the linear speed you're going to gain. You're going to gain bat speed when you have, assuming that we're turning and decelerating nearly as well. A longer object is a longer spoke. And we talked about this at the beginning of the show today. That longer spoke is going to move faster at its end. So it's right. going to, in a bat fitting scenario, it's, it's always going to grade out that a, a bigger bat is better for you.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, then, like I said, that just becomes like, it becomes that confidence issue of, you know, you, you feel like you're facing something fast and you're, if I've got something smaller, it's easier for me to move versus, you know, the opposite, which is, hey, it's, it's going to move faster. So as long as I'm on time, this bigger implement actually, a lot of times benefits. And I don't think a lot of people, people think about like one inch or one ounce, like it's some dramatic change, you know, what? One inch, one ounce. Again, in a connected swing, isn't isn't that big of a difference? You know, and that's if- a
0: key thing for like, especially parents that we get the bat question all of the time with younger kids. What size bat? And it, you you've mentioned this three times now. You say in a connected swing. So even younger players, if they are connected, and a lot of times younger players are not, like I say, you will not feel the extra length or weight in this swing because you are going to keep it tight to your body as you turn. You are connected. But as soon as you're disconnected and you get that thing out away from you early, you're gonna feel it. It's gonna feel like you're swinging a, sh- a shot broom, right? Like it's just gonna be really like a, a telephone pole, long, it's heavy. So th- that is a really important piece. Like players with better mechanics at a younger age do get the benefit of being able to swing a bigger, heavier, longer bat.
1: Yeah, or even kids that are stronger. I and mean, again, like you know, you, you make up for some disconnection with strength. You know, your strength will be able to mitigate some of the disconnection because you have strength. So that's the other thing with, you know, you know, chasing strength in the weight room is it gives you an out when you're not moving as well. Not only does it give you more output, but it gives you it gives you an out to be able to compensate better in a disconnected situation, whether even at the, you know, at the pro level. I've been showing this, this, um, this video I, I saw on um the dumpster fire, which is Twitter, as you like to call it. <laughs> um, but I've been showing, I've been showing this, I've been showing this, this clip of Mike Trout adjusting to a a pitch that, he, in my mind, he must have misread. Um, so he's ending up continually having to chase it with his torso tilting farther over the plate. His arms are disconnected. He's, he's going after a lower away pitch. And
0: is this an off speed pitch, like slider running away from him, or?
1: I, you know they only show the the in the video it's only like the last couple okay. feet of the pitch and then just it's basically a close-up on him but watching his body control like he ends up having like his his back leg will kick back probably like in the video kicks back probably like four feet because of how far his torso had to lean over right. the plate he had to have something offsetting right for, for balance and his front foot literally doesn't move like he's just found a way to be centered on his foot with his body weight leaning over, but even in a disconnected swing, his additional strength allowed him to be a little bit more disconnected in in where his arms were moving with his body, but still be able to control control the bat. And you sit and look at something like that, and like it's not easy to do. Like, and the ease at which he did it, you're just like, wow, man! Like, like that guy. Can,
0: it's the great compensator.
1: It is. It's a. It's a huge. It's a huge compensator, especially when you're at the highest level and you're getting pitches that are doing crazy things you know at a young age the game isn't easy but it's easier when you know you're getting below average off-speed stuff with you know not as good obviously fastball control from a pitcher so you can kind of sit on pitches more you can make the guy throw you the fastball because you don't have to sit and like worry about this guy just throwing you breaking ball after breaking ball after breaking ball in any count any part of the count so you know, the game obviously gets harder and your ability to compensate as you continue to get older becomes more and more necessary. And part of that is, is strength. And part of it is, you know, body control. And, and like, we started the segment talking about deceleration, like all those things become so hypercritical at the highest level where, you know, as, as Andy calls it, Andy Haynes calls it, it's, it's messy. It's ugly. Like the game's ugly. It's hard. Like you're, you're, you're going to you're fighting, you're fighting in every at bat, every pitch for the most part because it is such a tough a tough thing to do so
0: yeah every pitch of every game the brain has to solve one of the most complex problems there is yeah identifying and hitting a baseball under the time constraint in which you have to do it and you do it over and over and over again That's an incredible way to think about it right yeah it's the most complex problems you're ever going to your brain is ever going to have to solve you're doing over and over again
1: yeah at the highest level for sure yeah good stuff so before we before we kick out today i've been thinking about this this week a lot and i just want to put this in has nothing to do with our our cell talk so just a couple notes from being in the cage this week and this is almost more of just like i'm just going to call it don't be that guy um so had somebody yeah, that would.
0: This could be a new segment, the "Don't Be That Guy" segment.
1: Had had this had had listening to one instructor working with a player, and you know, just just earshot, just kind of hearing what's going on. And first thing I heard him say when his kid walked in the cage was, "What did your brilliant coach have to tell you this week?" And basically, what he was saying is, "Your coach is an idiot." Like you should listen to what I'm telling you, and whatever this other guy's telling you is—he's an idiot. Um, don't be that guy. Like realistically, you—that's
0: insecurity in my, at its finest. Is what
1: it yeah, is. unless in my mind, like you don't always have to agree with some, what somebody else is teaching. Like that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. But I think you know being that being that guy where you're basically throwing somebody else under the bus that this person still probably looks up to as a mentor it's just the wrong way to go about it. Like if you don't agree and you might not know exactly what this person was having somebody do something for, or what they're, why they're narrating it the way they did to this kid. You know, I think there's just easier ways around that of even if there's some disagreement of just saying, Hey, you know, I kind of understand where he's going. You know, I like to think about it this way, just like navigate a different way. And the other one child, the kids, there was two, there's two kids that were doing like a group thing and they must have the same they must play on the same team. I'm assuming they're I'm assuming he's talking about their travel coach. Okay. Um, but the kids were probably, if I had to guess, probably 14. Um, and then another one was don't be that guy. Like don't I, I saw an instructor, a different instructor giving unsolicited advice to like a dad and a kid hitting in a cage um and i sat back and thought i'm like i don't think i've ever walked up to somebody in my life and just unsolicited like hey you know i feel like you know if your kid does this better you know blah, blah blah and by the way here's my card you know meet up with me like don't be that guy like you it's more more if you see somebody hitting with their parent in a cage on their own and you want to be like hey man your kid looks good he's doing a good job and if that parent from there wants to initiate, Oh, thanks. You know, what do you, do you teach baseball? And the conversation goes that way, but like, like don't, like, it's just it's so odd for me for just, just to unsolicitedly walk up to somebody you don't know and just start giving them advice as to what they need to do to, to be better. So nothing wrong with helping people, but
0: unsolicited is. I, I, I'm going to reiterate this was not in our facility. It was not in. It was not in Bradley. No. So I'm getting get ready to go over there now. I have to fire people. I don't. I am that's the start of my day. I would have had to fire people for you. <laughs> uh, good segment today, Travis. Don't be that guy. I like it. I like it. I'll be. I'll 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 do one next week. Until next week, producer Dan, thanks a lot. Travis, see you on the field, bud.